Section 9 of Micrographia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. Micrographia by Robert Hooke. Observation 6 of small glass canes. That I may be satisfied whether it were not possible to make an artificial pore as small as any natural I had yet found, I made several attempts with small glass pipes melted in the flame of a lamp and then very suddenly drawn out into a great length. And by that means, without much difficulty, I was able to draw some almost as small as a cobweb, which yet, with a microscope, I could plainly perceive to be perforated, both by looking on the ends of it and by looking on it against the light, which was much the easier way to determine whether it were solid or perforated. For taking a small pipe of glass and closing one end of it, then filling it half full of water and holding it against the light, I could, by this means, very easily find what was the different aspect of a solid and a perforated piece of glass, and so easily distinguish, without seeing either end, whether any cylinder of glass I looked on were a solid stick or a hollow cane. And by this means I could also presently judge of any small filament of glass, whether it were hollow or not which would have been exceeding tedious to examine by looking on the end. And many such like ways I was fain to make use of in the examining of divers other particulars related in this book, which would have been no easy task to have determined merely by the more common way of looking on or viewing the object. For if we consider first the very faint light wherewith the object is enlightened, whence many particles appear opacous, which, when more enlightened, appear very transparent, so that I was fain to determine its transparency by one glass and its texture by another. Next, the unmanageableness of most objects by reason of their smallness. 3. The difficulty of finding the desired point and of placing it so as to reflect the light conveniently for the inquiry. Lastly, one being able to view it, but with one eye at once, they will appear no small obstructions, nor are they easily removed without many contrivances. But to proceed, I could not find that water or some deeply tinged liquors would in small ones rise so high as one would expect, and the highest I have found it yet rise in any of the pipes I have tried was to 21 inches above the level of the water in the vessel. For though I found that in the small pipes it would nimbly enter at first and run about 6 or 7 inches upwards, yet I found it then to move upwards so slow that I have not yet had the patience to observe it above that height of 21 inches, and that was in a pretty large pipe, in comparison of those I formerly mentioned. For I could observe the progress of a very deep-tinged liquor in it with my naked eye, without much trouble, whereas many of the other pipes were so very small that unless in a convenient posture to the light, I could not perceive them but tis very probable that a greater patience and assiduity may discover the liquors to rise, at least to remain suspended, at heights that I should be loath now even to guess at, if at least there be any proportion kept between the heights of the ascending liquor and the bigness of the holes of the pipes. An attempt for the explication of this experiment my conjecture that the unequal height of the surfaces of the water proceeded from the greater pressure made up on the water by the air, 
without the pipes ABC, then by that within them I shall endeavour to confirm from the truth of the two following propositions, the first of which is that an unequal pressure of the incumbent air will cause an unequal height in the water surfaces, and the second is that in this experiment there is such an unequal pressure that the first is true the following experiment will evince for if you take any vessel so contrived as that you can at pleasure either increase or diminish the pressure of the air upon this or that part of the superficies of the water the equality of the height of those parts will presently be lost and that part of the superficies that sustains the greater pressure will be inferior to that which undergoes the less a fit vessel for this purpose will be an inverted glass siphon such an one as is described in the sixth figure for if into it you put water enough to fill it as high as a b and gently blow in at d you shall depress the superficies b and thereby raise the opposite superficies a to a considerable height and by gently sucking you may produce clean contrary effects next that there is such an unequal pressure i shall prove from this that there is a much greater incongruity of air to glass and some other bodies than there is of water to the same by congruity i mean a property of a fluid body whereby any part of it is readily united with any other part either of itself or of any other similar fluid or solid body and by incongruity a property of a fluid by which it is hindered from uniting with any dissimilar fluid or solid body this last property any one that hath been observingly conversant about fluid bodies cannot be ignorant of for not now to mention several chemical spirits and oils which will very hardly if at all be brought to a mix with one another insomuch that there may be found some eight or nine or more several distinct liquors which swimming one upon another will not presently mix we need seek no further for examples of this kind of fluids than to observe the drops of rain falling through the air and the bubbles of air which are by any means conveyed under the surface of the water or a drop of common salad oil swimming upon water in all which and many more examples of this kind that might be enumerated the incongruity of two fluids is easily discernible and as for the congruity or incongruity of liquids with several kind of firm bodies they have long since been taken notice of and called by the names of dryness and moisture though these two names are not comprehensive enough being commonly used to signify only the adhering or not adhering of water to some other solid bodies of this kind we may observe that water will more readily wet some woods than others and that water let fall upon a feather the whiter side of a colwort and some other leaves or upon almost any dusty unctuous or resinous superficies will not at all adhere to them but easily tumble off from them like a solid ball whereas if dropped upon linen paper clay green wood etc it will not be taken off without leaving some part of it being adhering to them so quicksilver which will very hardly be brought to stick to any vegetable body will readily adhere to and mingle with several clean metalline bodies and that we may better find what the cause of congruity and incongruity in bodies is it will be requisite to consider first what is the cause of fluidness 
and this I conceive to be nothing else but a certain pulse or shake of heat. For heat being nothing else but a very brisk and vehement agitation of the parts of body, as I have elsewhere made probable, the parts of a body are thereby made so loose from one another that they easily move any way and become fluid. That I may explain this a little by a gross similitude, let us suppose a dish of sand set upon some body that is very much agitated and shaken with some quick and strong vibration motion, as on a millstone turned round upon the understone very violently whilst it is empty, or on a very stiff drumhead which is vehemently or very nimbly beaten with the drumsticks. By this means the sand in the dish which before lay like a dull and unactive body becomes a perfect fluid, and E can no sooner make a hole in it with your finger, but it is immediately filled up again, and the upper surface of it leveled. Nor can you bury a light body, as a piece of cork under it, but it presently emerges or swims as twere on top. Nor can you lay a heavier on the top of it as a piece of lead, but it is immediately buried in sand, and as twere sinks to the bottom nor can you make a hole in the side of the dish, but the sand shall run out of it to a level, not an obvious property of a fluid body as such, but this does imitate, and all this merely caused by the vehement agitation of the containing vessel, for by this means each sand becomes to have a vibrative or dancing motion, so as no other heavier body can rest on it, unless sustained by some other on either side. Nor will it suffer any body to be beneath it, unless it be a heavier than itself. Another instance of the strange loosening nature of a violent jarring motion, or a strong and nimble vibrative one, we may have from a piece of iron grated on very strongly with a file. For if into that a pin screwed so firm and hard that though it has a convenient head to it, yet can by no means be unscrewed by the fingers. If, I say, you attempt to unscrew this whilst grated on by the file, it will be found to undo and turn very easily. The first of these examples manifests how a body actually divided into small parts becomes a fluid, and the latter manifests by what means the agitation of heat so easily loosens and unties the parts of solid and firm bodies. Nor need we suppose heat to be anything else besides such motion, for supposing we could mechanically produce such a one quick and strong enough, we need not spend fuel to melt a body. Now that I do not speak this altogether groundless, I must refer the reader to the observations I have made upon the shining sparks of steel, for there he shall find that the same effects are produced upon small chips or parcels of steel by the flame and by a quick and violent motion. And if the body of steel may be thus melted, as I there shew it may, I think we have little reason to doubt that almost any other may not also. Every smith can inform one how quickly both his file and the iron grows hot with filing. And if you rub almost any two hard bodies together, they will do the same. And we know that a sufficient degree of heat causes fluidity, in some bodies much sooner, and in others later. That is, the parts of the body of some are so loose from one another, and so unapt to cohere, and so minute and little, 
that a very small degree of agitation keeps them always in the state of fluidity. Of this kind, I suppose, the ether, that is, the medium or fluid body, in which all other bodies do, as it were, swim and move, and particularly the air, which seems nothing else but a kind of a tincture or solution of terrestrial and aqueous particle dissolved into it, and agitated by it, just as a tincture of cochineal is nothing but some finer dissoluble parts of that concrete licked up or dissolved by the fluid water. And from this notion of it, we may easily give a more intelligible reason how the air becomes so capable of rarefaction and condensation. For, as in tinctures, one grain of some strongly tinging substance may sensibly color some hundred thousand grains of appropriated liquors, so as every drop of it has its proportionate share, and can be sensibly tinged, as I have tried both with logwood and cochineal and as some few grains of salt is able to infect as great a quantity as may be found by precipitations, though not so easily by the sight or taste, so the air, which seems to be but as twere a tincture or saline substance, dissolved and agitated by the fluid and agile either, may disperse and expand itself into a vast space, if it had room enough, and infect, as it were, every part of that space. But, as on the other side, if there be but some few grains of the liquor, it may extract all the color of the tinging substance, and may dissolve all the salt, and thereby become much more impregnated with those substances, so may all the air that sufficed in a rarefied state to fill some hundred thousand spaces of either be comprised in only one, but in a position proportionable dense. And though we have not yet found out such strainers for tinctures and salts as we have for the air, being yet unable to separate them from their dissolving liquors by any kind of filter without precipitation, as we are able to separate the air from the ether by glass and several other bodies, and though we are yet unable and ignorant of the ways of precipitating air out of the ether as we can tinctures and salts out of several dissolvents, yet neither of these seeming impossible from the nature of things nor so improbable but that some happy future industry may find out ways to effect them nay further since we find that nature does really perform though by what means we are not certain both these actions namely by precipitating the air in rain and dews and by supplying the streams and rivers of the world with fresh water, strained through secret subterraneous caverns, and since that in very many other properties they do so exactly, seem of the same nature. Till further observations or trials do inform us of the contrary, we may safely enough conclude them of the same kind for it seldom happens that any two natures have so many properties coincident or the same as i have observed solutions and air to have and to be different in the rest and therefore i think it neither impossible irrational nay nor difficult to be able to predict what is likely to happen in other particulars also besides those which observation or experiment have declared thus or thus, especially if the circumstances that do often very much conduce to the variation of the effects by duly weighed and considered.
and indeed were there not a probability of this our inquiries would be endless our trials vain and our greatest inventions would be nothing but the mere products of chance and not of reason and like mariners in an ocean destitute both of a compass and the sight of the celestial guides we might indeed by chance steer directly towards our desired port but tis a thousand to one but we miss our aim but to proceed we may hence also give a plain reason how the air comes to be darkened by the clouds and etc which are nothing but a kind of precipitation and how those precipitations fall down in showers hence also could i very easily and i think truly deduce the cause of the curious sixangular figures of snow and the appearance of hollows etc and the sudden thickening of the sky with clouds and the vanishing and disappearing of those clouds again for all these things may be very easily imitated in a glass of liquor with some slight chemical preparations as i have often tried and may somewhere else more largely relate but have not no time to set them down but to proceed there are other bodies that consist of particle more gross and of a more apt figure for cohesion and this requires somewhat greater agitation such i suppose mercury fermented venous spirits several chemical oils which are much of a kin to those spirits etc others yet require a greater as water and so others much greater for almost infinite degrees for i suppose there are very few bodies in the world that may not be made aliquotinous fluid by some or other degree of agitation or heat having therefore in short set down my notion of a fluid body i come in the next place to consider what congruity is and this as i said before being a relative property of a fluid whereby it may be said to be like or unlike to this or that other body whereby it does or does not mix with this or that body we will again have recourse to our former experiment though but a rude one and here if we mix in the dish several kinds of sands some of bigger other of less and finer bulks we shall find that by the agitation the fine sand will eject and throw out of itself all those bigger bulks of small stones and the like and those will be gathered together all into one place and if there be other bodies in it of other natures those also will be separated into a place by themselves and united or tumbled up together and though these do not come up to the highest property of congruity which is a cohesion of the parts of the fluid together or a kind of attraction and tenacity yet this does as to shadow it out and somewhat resemble it for just after the same manner i suppose the pulse of heat to agitate the small parcels of matter and those that are of a like bigness and figure and matter will hold or dance together and those which are of a differing kind will be thrust or shoved out from between them for particles that are similar will like so many equal musical strings equally stretch vibrate together in a kind of harmony or unison whereas others that are dissimilar upon what account soever unless the disproportion be otherwise counterbalanced will like so many strings out of tune to those unisons though they have the same agitating pulse yet make quite differing kinds 
of vibrations and repercussions, so that, though they may be both moved, yet are their vibrations so different and so untuned as toward to each other that they cross and jar against each other, and consequently cannot agree together, but fly back from each other to their similar particles. Now, to give you an instance how the disproportion of some bodies in one respect may be counterbalanced by a contrary disproportion of the same body in another respect, whence we find that the subtle venous spirit is congruous or does readily mix with water, which in many properties is of a very different nature, we may consider that a unison may be made either by two strings of the same bigness, length, and tension, or by two strings of the same bigness, but of differing length and a contrary differing tension, or thirdly, by two strings of unequal length and bigness and of a differing tension, or of equal length and differing bigness and tension, and several other such varieties, to which three properties in strings will correspond three properties also in sand, or the particles of bodies, their matter or substance, their figure or shape, and their body or bulk, and from the varieties of these three may arise infinite varieties in fluid bodies, though all agitated by the same pulse or vibrative motion. And there may be as many ways of making harmonies and discords with these, as there may be with musical strings. Having therefore seen what is the cause of congruity or incongruity, those relative properties of fluids we may, from what has been said, very easily collect what is the reason of those relative properties also between fluid bodies and solid. For since all bodies consist of particles of such a substance, figure and bulk, but in some they are united together more firmly than to be loosened from each other by every vibrative motion, though I imagine that there is no body in the world but that some degree of agitation may, as I hinted before, agitate and loosen the particles so as to make them fluid. Those cohering particles may vibrate in the same manner almost as those that are loose and become unisons or discords, as I may so speak to them. Now that the parts of all bodies, though never so solid, do yet vibrate, I think we need go no further for proof than that all bodies have some degree of heat in them, and that there has not been yet found anything perfectly cold. Nor can I believe, indeed, that there is any such thing in nature as a body whose particles are at rest, or lazy and unactive, in the great theatre of the world, it being quite contrary to the grand economy of the universe. We see, therefore, what is the reason of the sympathy or uniting of some bodies together, and of the antipathy or flight of others from each other. For congruity seems nothing else but a sympathy, and incongruity an antipathy of the bodies, Hence, similar bodies, once united, will not easily part, and dissimilar bodies, once disjoined, will not easily unite again. From hence may be very easily deducted the reason of the suspension of water and quicksilver above their usual station, as I shall more at large anon shew. These properties, therefore, Always the concomitants of fluid bodies produce these following visible effects. First, they unite the parts of a fluid to its similar solid, or keep them separate from its dissimilar. Hence, quicksilver will, as we noted before, 
stick to gold, silver, tin, lead, etc., and unite with them, but roll off from wood, stone, glass, etc., if never so little situated out of its horizontal level, and water that will wet salt and dissolve it will slip off from tallow or the like, without at all adhering, as it may likewise be observed to do upon a dusty superficies, and next they cause the parts of homogeneal fluid bodies readily to adhere together and mix, and of heterogeneal to be exceeding averse thereunto. Hence we find that two small drops of water on any superficies they can roll on will, if they chance to touch each other, readily unite and mix into a third drop. The like may be observed with two small balls of quicksilver upon a table or glass, provided their surfaces be not dusty, and with two drops of oil upon fair water, etc. And further, water put unto wine, salt water, vinegar, spirit of wine, or the like, does immediately, especially if they be shaken together, disperse itself all over them. Hence, on the contrary, we also find that oil of tartar poured upon quicksilver and spirit of wine on that oil, and oil of turpentine on that spirit, and air upon that oil, though they be stopped closely up into a bottle and shaken never so much, they will by no means long suffer any of their bigger parts to be united or included within any of the other liquors, by which recited liquors may be plainly enough represented by the four peripatetical elements, and the more subtle ether above all. From this property, tis that a drop of water does not mingle with or vanish into air, but is driven by that fluid equally protrudent on every side, and forced into as little a space as it can possibly be contained in, namely into a round globule. So likewise a little air blown under the water is united or thrust into a bubble by the ambient water, and a parcel of quicksilver enclosed with air, water, or almost any other liquor is formed into a round ball. Now the cause why all these included fluids newly mentioned, or as many others as are wholly included within a heterogeneous fluid, are not exactly of a spherical figure, seeing that if caused by these principles only, it could be of no other, must proceed from some other kind of pressure against the two opposite flatted sides. This adventitious or accidental pressure may proceed from diverse causes, and accordingly must diversify the figure of the included heterogeneous fluid, foreseeing that a body may be included either with a fluid only, or only with a solid, or partly with a fluid, and partly with a solid, or partly with one fluid, and partly with another. There will be found a very great variety of the terminating surfaces, much differing from a spherical, according to the various resistance or pressure that belongs to each of these encompassing bodies, which properties may in general be deduced from two heads, vis-à-vis -vis motion and rest. For either this globular figure is altered by a natural motion, such as is gravity, or a violent, such as is any accidental motion of the fluids, as we see in the wind ruffling up the water, and the purlings of streams, and foaming of cataracts, and the like. Or thirdly, by the rest, firmness and stability of the ambient solid. 
for if the including solid be of an angular or any other irregular form the included fluid will be near of the like as a pint pot full of water or a bladder full of air and next if the including or included fluid have a greater gravity one than another then will the globular form be depressed into an elliptico-spherical as if for example we suppose the circle abcd in the fourth figure to represent a drop of water quicksilver or the like included with the air or the like which supposing there were no gravity at all in either of the fluids or that the contained and containing were of the same weight would be equally compressed into an exactly spherical body the ambient fluid forcing equally against every side of it but supposing either a greater gravity in the included by reason whereof the parts of it being pressed from a towards b and thereby the whole put into motion and that motion being hindered by the resistance of the subjacent parts of the ambient the globular figure adbc will be depressed into the elliptico-spherical egfh for the side a is detruded to e by the gravity and b to f by the resistance of subjacent medium and therefore c must necessarily be thrust to g and d to h or else supporting a greater gravity in the ambient by whose more than ordinary pressure against the underside of the included globule b will be forced to f and by its resistance of the motion upwards the side a will be depressed to e and therefore c being thrust to g and d to h the globular figure by this means also will be made an elliptical spherical next if a fluid be included partly with one and partly with another fluid it will be found to be shaped diversely according to the proportion of the gravity and incongruity of the three fluids one to another as in the second figure let the upper mmm by air the middle lmno by common oil the lower ooo by water the oil will be formed not into a spherical figure such as is represented by the pricked line but into such a figure as lmno whose side lmn will be of a flatter elliptical figure by reason of the great disproportion between the gravity of oil and air and the side lom of a rounder because of the smaller difference between the weight of oil and water lastly the globular figure will be changed if the ambient be partly fluid and partly solid and here the termination of the encompassed fluid towards the encompassing is shaped according to the proportion of the congruity or incongruity of the fluids to the solids and of the gravity and incongruity of the fluids one to another as suppose the subjacent medium that hinders an included fluid's descent be a solid as let ki in the fourth figure represent the smooth superfaces of a table egfh a parcel of running mercury the side gfh will be more flatted according to the proportion of the incongruity of the mercury and air to the wood and of the gravity of the mercury and air one to another the side geh will likewise be a little more depressed by reason the subjacent parts are now at rest 
which were before in motion, or further in the third figure, let AILD represent an including solid medium of a cylindrical shape, as suppose a small glass jar, let FGEMM represent a contained fluid as water. This towards the bottom and sides is figured according to the concavity of the glass. But its upper surface, which by reason of its gravity, not considering at all the air above it, and so neither the congruity or incongruity of either of them to the glass, should be terminated by part of a sphere whose diameter should be the same with that of the earth, which to our sense would appear a straight line, as FGE, or which by reason of its having a greater congruity to glass than air has, not considering its gravity, would be thrust into a concave sphere, as CHB, whose diameter would be the same with that of the concavity of the vessel. Its upper surface, I say, by reason of its having a greater gravity than the air, and having likewise a greater congruity to glass than the air has, is terminated by a concave elliptico-spherical figure, as CKB, for by its congruity it easily conforms itself and adheres to the glass, and constitutes, as it were, one containing body with it, and therefore should thrust the contained air on that side it touches it into a spherical figure, as BHC. But the motion of gravity, depressing a little the corners B and C, reduces it into the aforesaid figure CKB. Now that it is the greater congruity of one of the two contiguous fluids than of the other, to the containing solid that causes the separating surfaces to be thus or thus figured, and that it is not because this or that figurated surface is more proper, natural, or peculiar to one of these fluid bodies than to the other, will appear from this, that the same fluids will, by being put into differing solids, change their surfaces, for the same water, which in a glass or wooden vessel, will have a concave surface upwards, and will rise higher in a smaller than a greater pipe. The same water, I say, in the same pipes, greased over or oiled, will produce quite contrary effects, for it will have a protuberant and convex surface upwards and will not rise so high and small as in bigger pipes. Nay, in the very same solid vessel, you may make the very same two contiguous liquids to alter their surfaces. For taking a small wine glass or such like vessel, and pouring water gently into it, you shall perceive the surface of the water all the way concave, till it rise even with the top, when you shall find it, if you gently and carefully pour in more, to grow very protuberant and convex. The reason of which is plain, for that the solid sides of the containing body are no longer extended, to which the water does more readily adhere than the air. But it is henceforth to be included with air, which would reduce it into a hemisphere, but by reason of its gravity it is flatted into an oval. Quicksilver, also which to glass is more incongruous than air, and thereby being put into a glass pipe, will not adhere to it, but by the more congruous air will be forced to have a very protuberant surface, and to rise higher in a greater than a lesser pipe. This quicksilver to clean metal, especially to gold, silver, tin, lead, and terra, iron excepted, is more congruous than air, and will not only stick to it, 
but have a concave surface like water, and rise higher in a less than in a greater pipe. In all these examples it is evident that there is an extraordinary and adventitious force by which the globular figure of the contained heterogeneous fluid is altered. Neither can it be imagined how it should otherwise be of any other figure than globular. For being by the heterogeneous fluid equally protruded every way, whatsoever part is protuberant will be thereby depressed. From this cause it is that in its effects it does very much resemble a round spring, such as a hoop, for as in a round spring there is required an additional pressure against two opposite sides to reduce it into an oval form, or to force it in between the sides of a hole, whose diameter is less than that of a spring, there must be a considerable force of protrusion against the concave or inner side of the spring. So to alter this spherical constitution of an included fluid body, there is required more pressure against opposite sides to reduce it into an oval and to press it into an hole less in diameter than itself it requires a greater protrusion against all the other sides what degrees of force are requisite to reduce them into longer and longer ovals or press them into less and less holes i have not yet experimentally calculated but thus much by experiment i find in general that there is always required a greater pressure to close them into longer ovals or protrude them into smaller holes. The necessity and reason of this, were it requisite, I could easily explain, but being not so necessary and requiring more room and time than I have for it at present, I shall here omit it, and proceed to shew that this may be presently found true if experiment be made with a round spring, the way of making which trials is obvious enough, and with fluid bodies of mercury, air, etc., the way of trying which will be somewhat more difficult, and therefore I shall in brief describe it. He, therefore, that would try with air, must first be provided of a glass pipe made of the shape of that in the fifth figure whereof the side a b represents a straight tube of about three foot long c represents another part of it which consists of a round bubble so ordered that there is left a passage or a hole at the top into which may be fastened with cement several small pipes of determinate cylindrical cavities as let hollow of f be one quarter of an inch g one six h one eighth i one twelfth k one sixteenth l one twenty fourth m one thirty two and etc there may be added as many more as the experimenter shall think fit with holes continually decreasing by known quantities so far as his senses are able to help him i say so far because there may be made pipes so small that it will be impossible to perceive the perforation with one's naked eye though by the help of a microscope it may easily enough be perceived nay i have made a pipe perforated from end to end so small that with my naked eye i could very hardly see the body of it insomuch that i have been able to knit it up into a knot without breaking and more accurately examining one with my microscope i found it not so big as a sixteenth part of one of my smaller hairs of my head which was of the smaller and finer sort of hair, so that sixteen of these pipes, bound faggot-wise together, would but have equalized one single hair. 
how small, therefore, must its perforation be? It appears to me through the microscope to be a proportionably thick-sided pipe. To proceed, then, for the trial of the experiment, the experimenter must place the tube AB perpendicular and fill the pipe F, cemented into the hole E, with water, but leave the bubble C full of air, and then, gently pouring in water into the pipe AB, he must observe diligently how high the water will rise in it, before it protrude the bubble of air C through the narrow passage of F, and denote exactly the height of the cylinder of the water, then cementing in a second pipe as G, and filling it with water. He may proceed as with the former, denoting likewise the height of the cylinder of water, able to protrude the bubble C through the passage of G. The like may he do with the next pipe, and the next, and etc., as far as he is able. Then, comparing the several heights of the cylinders with the several holes through which each cylinder did force the air, having due regard to the cylinder of water in the small tubes, it will be very easy to determine what force is requisite to press the air into such and such a hole, or to apply it to our present experiment. How much of the pressure of the air is taken off by its ingress into smaller and smaller holes, from the application of which to the entering of the air into the bigger hole of the vessel and into the smaller hole of the pipe, we shall clearly find that there is a greater pressure of the air upon the water in the vessel or greater pipe than there is upon that in the lesser pipe. For since the pressure of the air every way is found to be equal, that is, as much as he is able to press up and sustain a cylinder of quicksilver of two foot and a half high, or thereabouts, and since of this pressure so many more degrees are required to force the air into a smaller than into a greater hole that is full of a more congruous fluid, and lastly, since those degrees that are requisite to press it in are thereby taken off from the air within, and the air within left with so many degrees of pressure less than the air without, it will follow that the air in the less tube or pipe will have less pressure against the superficies of the water therein than the air in the bigger, which was the minor proposition to be proved. The conclusion, therefore, will necessarily follow vis-à-vis -vis, that this unequal pressure of the air caused by its ingress into unequal holes is a cause sufficient to produce this effect without the help of any other concurrent. Therefore, is probably the principal, if not the only, cause of this phenomena. End of section 9 Recording by Mike Botez.